1: So we're we're right on the precipice of Super League. We've done the first three chapters. We've really built it up well. We're not going to hear the next chapter of the Super League story in this episode. Uh, you'll hear that next week. Uh, what I really wanted to do was wrap a bow around our prelude, if you will, by a- addressing some of the brilliant emails we've got. Uh, we We did a bit of a reach out for Twitter, some questions. Uh, and just a few little miscellaneous pieces here and there before we really get to the heart of Super League.
2: We've been saying since the uh, first incarnation of the show that our community is, you know, intelligent rugby league fans, I and mean, these emails prove it because some of the insight it's really opened my eyes to be honest.
1: Yeah, and my my whole thing with this is I didn't want to go in with any preconceived ideas about who was right, who was wrong, what should have happened, you know, all the rest of it. I really wanted to learn and be open. To changing my mind, and the the email the calibre of the emails we keep getting is like so invaluable.
2: But what's funny about it is, I always just thought that, particularly on the ARL side, that most people were for it. But judging by the emails, there's a lot of people that weren't that thrilled with the ARL side either. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying that i was pro Super League, but that there was a lot less uh, blind loyalty than I thought.
1: I also think that there's a lot of people like me who had blind loyalty once, one way or the other at the time and 25 years of perspective Mm. gives us all a chance to to rethink
2: yeah that always happens with wars no one's going i mean i think the north vietnamese were right you know uh
1: so before we get into uh some opening the mailbag and, and going through some of those questions i just want to touch on a a couple of uh you know corrections or or more information that has been given to us since we recorded it Uh, So this is just a little miscellaneous thing. Uh, The the first one is just something I wanted to address about the way we've presented the story so far. And that's the idea of inevitability, which has kind of been a bit of a theme or or an unconscious theme throughout this, you know, opening three chapters that it was naturally building towards something. But as someone who takes history very seriously, I, I think it's important to point out that nothing in history is ever inevitable you needed those actors, you needed every, everything to be in place and have, you know, News Limited come in with money at the right time to do it. So I I just I feel we've we've gone a bit too heavy handed with the theme of inevitability.
2: It goes both ways. Like it's almost inevitable that the game will never change as well.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's something that we've proved over and over again for two years with every history kind we've ever done. Um but it's it's very easy to see a situation where things just chug along business as usual for another, you know, 10 or 20 years before maybe sputtering out or maybe, you know, hitting new heights. But-
2: well, we're getting that now at the present time where it's always like, yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's going to be no expansion talk for another three to five years. And then three to five years goes and we hear it, so, yeah, it's going to be another two to three years at least before we open the books. On yeah, that. yeah. So it could be another three decades before yeah. someone goes, you know what, if we haven't done anything again.
1: Uh, so, yeah, I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that, the the fact that, you know, uh, we went a bit heavy on it, is all I wanted to say on that.
2: It was uh, presented quite fairly, but I mean, there is two sides to the argument, like you say, but I don't think you should be apologizing.
1: Okay. Uh, the, the other thing, a number of people uh, sent in, in our first episode when we were looking at the 94 footy cards and wondered why the five gold cards were chosen, uh, so it was... Uh, Daily Stewart, Mark Coyne, Brad McKay, and Kerrod Walters. Uh, so a couple of people pointed out that the reason for that is what, that they were the, the five players of the year in David Middleton's 1993 annual. I didn't know that Middleton had that sort of power back in '93. Even. Well, I think his his annual, which you know he put out every year, that was like the the official word of rugby league that year, right? So. Yeah, I think that's where that came in. So I actually meant to to go back and look at the criteria and see what criteria was used to come up with those five players.
2: You know how much I love Mido? Just that name is so synonymous <laughs> with stats in rugby league. I think Andrew Ferguson could, could be the next gen on that, but uh, friend of the show. But it's just good to have a guy like that. that's ubiquitous in yeah. the game, you know? It's mm. like Mido, no? Yeah. Mido.
1: It's so funny you mentioned Andrew Ferguson because you'd always hear it on TV, you know, or or radio. It'd be like you know some obscure thing, and they'll they'll say like you know like oh where's Mido, you know. You see the same thing on Twitter now. <laughs> Any question asked about anything in rugby league, someone's like you know tag Andrew Ferguson, you know. Yeah, we, we we've been guilty of that on many occasions ourselves. Uh, the other thing was uh, from from Kyle Kut- Kutasi, who is a lawyer and when we mentioned the West's high court case and how did they have money to fight that when they were you know, holding raffles to keep <laughs> themselves afloat?
2: I said, no, it was a guessing
1: competition, if you, if you recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry to besmirch the, the marketing geniuses at, at West there. Uh, so he he said there are a number of ways that they could have funded this case. So firstly, it could have been like get a lawyer to take it on a no-win fee. West Ashfield is security. So they could have just been like throwing everything at the wall and said, well, if we lose, we're stuffed anyway, so what does it matter? And there's also something called a suitor's fund, which is used to pay litigants who, win the first case, then lose on appeal with the argument that they wouldn't have appealed if the judge got it right in the first place.
2: I would suggest that it was uh, was done not unlike Tommy building the um, gym in the squash courts. I reckon they would have bludged some favors, like pro bono uh, barristers and
1: what have you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Very interesting, though. Yeah, yeah, so really good insight there. Appreciate that. Uh, and the last thing, uh, I just wanted to shout out Lonnie Gilroy, who um, got in touch with us uh, on our socials, just to tell us about the doco series he's put up on YouTube uh, of the history of the Toowoomba Clydesdales. Uh, so it's called Toowoomba on Top of the World. It's a three-part doco, and it is brilliant. It's so well done. It was one of those things where you you get the you get the notification and you'll you'll you're like, you know, oh yeah, I'll I'll check it out. See, so, you know, little little pat on the head, well done you, and then you watch it and you're like, shit, this is really good. Yeah, awesome. So everyone get to YouTube and and check that out.
2: In terms of second tier clubs like Toowoomba Clydesdales is one of the great great names, one of the great clubs.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as as you see from from the doco series, a very rich history some of the greats of the game and, you know, at certain points the strongest team in the country, you know, forget about second tier. Yeah. Uh, so now we're going to open up the listener mailbag. So over the last few months, we've been reaching out for some of your personal memories and recollections of of the Super League era, and I'm just constantly blown away by the, the great stories, the you know really smart insights, all the rest of it. So I, I wanted to kind of share it with. The, the listening public at large.
2: I mean, there's too many to put in the episode as well. But yeah. I mean, um, they're all of, of the same quality. So if you didn't get in the episode, uh, but thanks for sending it anyway, you know.
1: Mm. Uh, so I, w- I wanted to start with Ryan Goss, who's one of our uh, Brisbane listeners. Uh, so I'm just just going to read out part of, of his email. And this is in relation to the idea of bias against the New South Wales Rugby League and the part that played in the Broncos, you know, getting Super League going. My sense as a kid in Brisbane at the time was that virtually the uniformly held view among regular fans was that the Broncos were consistently discriminated against by the Sydney officials, treated disrespectfully, and generally looked down on. That This wasn't usually presented as an opinion or argument. It was an, a known state of affairs that everyone agreed on.
2: You can put that down to the newspaper, Courier-May, Mail, right? That was in the era before the internet, clearly, so... Newspapers shaped everybody's opinion. Radio, newspaper, and television just shaped everybody's opinion. There was no going straight to the source in those days, like Twitter. They're pushing that propaganda the whole time. Of course, they thought like that.
1: I I think it goes beyond. I think he's right in, in claiming that it goes beyond the newspapers, but because you already had this simmering tension, New South Wales versus Queensland. When the Broncos came in, you know, that was amplified even more. You had, you know, players and coaches coming out in the media. I, I, th- I think it's it's simplistic to say it was just the Courier Mail were like you know pushing the point and and everyone got on board. I think you can see some of the decisions the way they went. Like I I don't think it was you know favouritism discrimination in the way that maybe they thought it was at the time. But
2: I think they definitely weren't that fond of them though. No, yeah. <laughs> but uh, as we said in the last couple of episodes of the Super League series, it come from the top of the Broncos swaggering down there and. Big noting.
1: Uh, and he, he goes on to talk about the impact that had on Brisbane people's opinion on Super League. So I'll, I'll just read this. As such, for many of us, even as kids in the mid-90s, the possibility of Super League was genuinely exciting. Finally, a chance to fix so many problems we'd seen the Broncos being on the right, wrong side of. Uh, and when I read that, it, it actually gave me cause to think of a perspective that I hadn't previously considered. Me too, yeah. So in 1995, the BRL was only seven years removed from essentially being rationalised in the same way that the Sydney clubs were being talked about with the coming of Super League. Yeah. So if you're a Brisbane fan or or a fan of rugby league in Brisbane, I I think it's natural that you just consider it as the next phase in the in the process. Yeah. Didn't even occur to me. The idea of traditionalism. Well, they'd already lost their traditional comp. Like Mm. they, you know, traditionalism was already dead in their eyes you know what why would they be like you know nostalgic about a sydney tradition that was never their own absolutely so that's just something I, I think we in in new south wales sydney particular uh forget about a lot that there's tradition means different things to different people
2: see right there is an example of it it's it's, it's not wanton discrimination against queensland it's just they're an afterthought in our minds mm. always yeah yeah <laughs>
1: Uh, and and that's been the best part of doing this show, honestly, is the the interaction with people in Queensland. Yeah, because like growing up, it's not even that they're thought of as the enemy. It's it's just this alien kind of you know like yeah
2: yeah slow talking you
1: know you know they they straw think chewing. I <laughs> I was, I was tr- not trying to you know hit those <laughs> stereotypes. I was trying to do this in a in a you know rational <laughs> a rational kind of thing. But sure, let's let's you know two heads. What else do you got? <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I quite enjoyed uh, Sir Joe and uh, Flo's scones, or whatever. But <laughs> apart from that,
1: uh, no. But it's it's actually been a genuine uh, kind of bridge building that uh, I've been experiencing the last couple of years.
2: And in the modern era, like Queensland fans are the best fans in the game, mm. and I, I want them to get the grand final. Yeah,
1: there's no doubt.
2: I keep pushing that angle <laughs> every episode. But sorry. <laughs>
1: And, and Ryan was by no means the only Queensland listener who shared that perspective. So I, I want to thank anyone else who did, but uh, we're just going to use that for the for the Brisbane part of this segment. Just before we do move on from Brisbane, but in in the same realm is you know their class of '88 mates, the Newcastle Knights. Fuzzy Dunlop at RCB Sharks asked the question. Why weren't Newcastle considered in New- until 1988? Like, why didn't New- a Newcastle team get in earlier? And, and in fact, Newcastle had been mooted as early as I think it was 77 or 78. So it was a, a decade-long process to get them in. The simple explanation is they just weren't ready any earlier than 88. Well, they were probably ready at they were ready before 88, but they weren't ready in the early 80s when the opportunity came around.
2: It's crazy that the Steelers were and Newcastle weren't.
1: Yeah, so um, so basically they weren't ready then, and then the next opportunity was '88. Moving on, I wanted to uh, I wanted to mention Guy Hanson, who shared an article he wrote for the publication Centenary Reflections, which uh, the Australian Society of Sports History put out to mark the centenary of rugby league in Australia, edited by friend and colleague Andy Carr. Shout outs to Andy uh, and guy wrote a, an article on the gladiators image which I actually I, I read that article like you know a few years ago and you know I forgot about it when I was putting that segment of the show together and I'm, I'm really dirty on myself for forgetting it filthy because uh, there's there's some really interesting stuff in that article uh, on top of all, a lot of the the same kind of things we talked about in that discussion just a couple of things stood out to me from the article upon rereading that I just wanted to touch on firstly was the fact that Um, John O'Grady's photograph appeared in the paper as as kind of a joke. Like it was just the iconic image with the caption, who's that? (laughs) And there's there's something so beautiful and so very rugby league about that. Absolutely. Like I don't think any sport has benefited from serendipity as much as (laughs) rugby league has. (laughs) There's not been one
2: major... Uh, rugby league touchstone that wasn't stumbled across
1: yeah but this is almost the opposite of that in that like it wasn't viewed as iconic until rugby league saw it and said that's iconic we're going to do it so uh in in a sense it's not an example of that but i just thought it was so so kind of touching that it it came from this like kind of joke image to be one of the the greatest sporting images in the world hang
2: on wasn't it the winfield cigarette executive (laughs)
1: yeah well you know Rugby league adjacent then. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> the rugby league just had no no idea about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but so someone at the paper knew that it was a good photo. So Jack Percival, who was on the editorial staff, said that it was the second best photo he'd ever seen uh, behind the raising of the American flag at Iwo Jima. Yeah, right. I think it's right up there too. Uh, and just another thing from that article, I'm, I'm just going to read this out because, uh, again, very rugby league. Throughout the 1970s, the Grand Final was held on Saturday afternoons with seating for the game unnumbered. Fans would queue for tickets at their leagues club and then again at the gates of the Sydney Cricket Ground. A leading New South Wales Rugby League official, Bob Abbott, put forward the idea of providing entertainment on the match day and involving a greater range of sponsors. I think that's something we missed in talking about the advances made through the Humphreys era. The idea that your Grand Final was an event and and should be treated as such... (laughs)
2: Not just like an extra round. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to hear from our um, some listeners that are a bit a bit older. And if you're on Twitter or something, uh you can ask your parents or whatever, mm. uncles, 90s and all the rest of it, like what was Match Day like in the in the seventies?
1: Yeah, I was, I'd be interested to know when those Junior League games started. But like the grand final replay on a Tuesday, you know, like just... <laughs> <laughs> just just to minimise uh,
2: <laughs> eyeballs on the product. <laughs>
1: Uh, and and ju- just a few other random ones. This email, I think, I think I, I, think I, I forward it to you with the line. This gave me a hard on, and, and I can't even <laughs> go into the email in depth. But um, well, I would have
2: deleted that because I don't appreciate Phil. But...
1: <laughs> so, uh, so Matthew Price uh, sent us a, a long email about his experiences of growing up as a rugby league fan in Adelaide. at the height of the war and and seeing the rams come in and and i can't go into it in detail because we've got a rams episode coming and i've actually got like great content for that episode from his email just just one thing i wanted to to pick out of it was the other it's it seems obvious but i think it's worth talking about the other reason people's allegiances one way or the other were formed so I'll, i'll just read this from matthew's email super league really tested my values I really hated how a private company could come in and look to take out and take over a community asset like the ARL at the time. But I had the possibility of being able to go and watch football every second week. But like a boomer about to lose their franking credits, I ended up siding and watching more Super League in 1997. I had the Foxtel subscription, I bought the Super League magazine, had an Adelaide Rams jumper and had a season ticket with a number of other people I knew. That's awesome. And also it's kind of like no no matter what your, your personal you know thoughts on the matter, if you're a passionate fan of a club and they go to Super League, it'd be very hard to put your values, you know, first and say, okay, I'm not supporting them anymore. If you're in a one-team town that goes one way or the other, well, your kind of hands are tied. Absolutely,
2: it's, uh, and I think it was it was divided down club lines in many 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 places, wasn't it? Mm. Canterbury fans just, went, oh well, Canterbury's with them, so yeah.
1: And I think we said that in in our prelude at the time, if if the Dragons had gone to Super League there's no chance that I wouldn't have followed them, you know?
2: Which, according to a back page of the Daily Telegraph, they were going. Yeah,
1: and, <laughs> and yeah, we've got episodes on that coming, don't worry.
2: I mean, I, I voted for this as an episode standalone in itself, but when Fatty and saw uh, Kerry Walters' shaved head <laughs> when he went to the Rams and he was said to um Kerry on the Sunday footy show, Kerry, how bad your melon? <laughs> That's what makes me think of the Rams.
1: So so that and Chubby Checker's appearance on stage in a Rams jersey, they're, they're probably 1A and 1B <laughs> of, of the Rams era.
2: Do you reckon Chubby Checker kept the Rams jersey? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Is he still alive? Maybe he could be buried in it. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to, to uh, mention Matthew Hunt's email who sent us the, a, a great like just – in in kind of you know expanded dot points some of his memories of the the Super League era. That's so, my
2: style too. I love that.
1: Yeah. So he uh, was 26 years old when the war broke out. Uh, I'm just going to pull a few of my favourites out. So this this one just really got me. Just really putting you in a in a time and place. So I'm just going to read this out. The first I heard about it was on April one 1995. My mate and I had planned our dream day. Fishing in the morning at Guy Mea Bay Baths, watching Rugby League in the Dolphin Hotel, uh, Norse vs Warriors, then seeing the Rolling Stones at the SCG that night, the latter of which we cut out a piece of SCG turf and planted it at home. As I waited for the train at Miranda Station to take me into the city, my mate, who was on the incoming second carriage, held the Daily Telegraph up to the window of the carriage and the headline screamed something like, It's war. Amazing. Sideline, I think I might have been at that very same Rolling Stones show, so that's cool. But, uh... Just it, it chills in that uh, description, and just that April Fool's Day with which obviously we've got uh, multiple episodes on coming up. But when it, when it hit, like it was like nothing before.
2: How apt that April Fool's Day! Yeah, yeah. What's that saying? There's nothing sooner part of it than a fool and his money. <laughs> 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 One thing I like to say about that point is. That huge data planned and then they spent hours fishing beforehand. I mean, that's exhausting. <laughs> Get some rest, and then go to the go to the other thing.
1: Uh, his next point: at the 1996 grand final barbecue, half the 30 blokes in attendance were split between ARL and Super League, culminating in drunken yet raucous ARL ARL versus Super League Super League chant. Tempers were frayed. <laughs> I I remember, like, similar... I don't think I ever got to the stage of having chants going off, but, like, my mates who were Dogs fans were just so passionate about things that, to me, like, the jerseys, the balls... I I hated that marketing so much, and they were all just like, no, those jerseys are so cool, like, you know... Everything for the ARL you had to be into and, and vice versa on the Super League. So. See,
2: I thought the Super League balls and jerseys were far superior. and I think the ARL uh, visuals were appalling, across the, starting with the New South Wales Origin jerseys and going down.
1: Well, that that was obviously a, a very dark period for New South Wales Origin jerseys. I mean that literally and figuratively. <laughs> I, I don't know why we've gone back to something approaching that this year. Like, yeah, lunacy. I just thought everything about the way Super League was marketed was so transparently going for the American look and so soulless.
2: They were trying to bring it into the modern age after years of chook raffling, and then and the of course everyone else is trying to bring them down to our to our level. It's like no, this is bloody American.
1: But I think the the problem with trying to trying to look modern is that it you know it kind of encases you in amber. And like it's so clearly like a '90s look. It's so clearly like influenced by things going on at the time. It doesn't have that timelessness.
2: I think you're being hard on Super League there. I think it's. it's I think they outmarketed the <laughs> NRL.
1: I, I think we should put up a Twitter poll on this one. Just, just a, a very simple like: Did you like the Super League jerseys? What, what, what do you think? Thoughts of the the uniformity of it all? Like every team had to be like. Basically- I thought it was cool.
2: I thought it was really cool.
1: Uh, I just, it was
2: elegance. It was like, no. it was uniformity instead of having like, I mean, think about the Balmain jerseys of the ARL year. They weren't good. And yeah. like, it's just, there's always like mishmash of like, it's like Super League hired an interior decorator and the ARL hired um, nobody and just threw some wallpaper up. Was, that's what it felt like to me.
1: I think you make a good point then, just that even the ARL teams. That they'd kind of gone away from their traditional look in many yeah, respects. Yeah, th- were, they were trying hard. Yeah, you weren't getting the classic, the classic jersey of of those clubs. If
2: they were smart back then, they would have said, "Well, this is about tradition. We're going to our our traditional jersey. Manly '87, Tigers '89, uh, cetera. Mm. And everyone would have went,
1: "Oh, that suits." All right. This this is a question for you. The Crushers jersey, liked it, loved it. Yeah, I thought it was it was brilliant, and that that was. It wasn't like a. It wasn't going for a modern look, but it was very unusual colours.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting.
1: I thought it was the best jersey of the four new clubs in '95.
2: Didn't like the, the name. Didn't like the idea of the crushers or anything like that. But the jersey I could yeah. get on board with.
1: Yeah, I, I lo- it, it's a good name, even if the like the train and it's yeah, like a odd cane crushing train. What what what's a crusher? In- <laughs> a- anyway, it sounds cool, and the jersey was good. Yeah. Anyway, let, let's not get too sidetracked by this. <laughs> so there was a lot more in that that email from Matthew. It, it was all gold, but I, I just wanted to pick out one, one little piece more. Uh, so he had a mate who went to the infamous Cronulla Leagues Club meeting where Mel Meninga did the, you know, what did rugby league ever give me? speech uh, well, typical malmeninga
2: quote uh, no. <laughs> no good
1: uh, we've got an episode on that later in the series which uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to so matthew had a friend there so i'm, I'm gonna uh, read this out from his email when it came to an open question time a very pissed as in drunk billy smith got on the mic introduced himself and proceeded for the next few painful minutes to give the growingly impatient audience a drunken history of his playing career and achievements this all climax in v- Billy's very deep, meaningful, and insightful question. Well, by Billy's standards
0: anyway. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. What are you doing to our game? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read that on the email. It's um A Matthew Hunt's a genius writer. Yeah. <laughs> I love I the, the the structure of that. Bit. Billy Smith, is <laughs> <laughs> just a legend.
1: <laughs> I love Billy Smith. He actually uh, appeared at a Men at League do uh, it, at Oatley RSL last year with Bob McCarthy. Uh, just a, a couple of other humorous ones. Uh, this one from uh, Chris Bailey at Fat Harry Lazy on Twitter. So uh, part of the the great Rugby League Twitter community that uh, always enjoyed the tweets and the interactions. Uh, he sent us a really good email as well. Another Queenslander talking about his experiences. He's one that actually did, a Penrith fan, he actually did ditch the Panthers during Super League.
2: Yeah, I don't know how many people did that. Mm. That's a big, big move.
1: Yeah, came back to them after the war. But uh, the, the highlight of his email for me was uh, was this. Uh, I think this was his closing. I met Sinjan Ellis. He called me a little bastard at a footy <laughs> carnival in Wynnum. My mate told him if he was any good, he'd be playing reserve grade at the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, And uh, another humorous note, uh, Matthew Willoughby sent us a great email talking about being at uni at the time and having a friend who was going out with one of Bullfrog's daughters. So she got them into the post-match function after the 94 grand final, but they'd been at the Leagues Club on the can since about 9 a.m. So, um, you know, well lubricated and his mate went up to Marty Bella and said, nice work off the kickoff, dickhead. (laughs) Uh, got got slapped a- across the face by Marty and was uh, asked to leave shortly after. That's hilarious.
2: The stuff these people put up with these players. It remember. was like the guy in the um in the Canterbury dressing room um, telling David Clenory he should put it offload in his game. <laughs> The Stuff they' put up with uh the
1: the, the next section, so ple please, please uh please keep those emails coming in because they've been so good,
2: I mean how many golden hilarious football moments are there in in every fan's life you you run across players at school or whatever when they come and visit or in the street, and there's always some hilarious interaction when like when Terry Hill was banging my my mate's uh, bicycle helmet up the lights yeah. in Toronto, <laughs> like footy players just can't help but be hilarious
1: uh so so yeah, so. Please keep them coming. Uh, I I haven't been able to talk about a lot of the emails we've got, and this goes for some of your Twitter questions as well, because I I don't want to spoil the story. I mean, as much as a 25-year-old news story can be spoiled, uh, I'm, I'm saving some stuff up for when we get to it you know, naturally over the course of the series.
2: I would like to see if there's someone out there that doesn't know the end of the story, yeah. like maybe an American or something. Yeah, say, yeah. What's going to happen? <laughs> you don't want to know.
1: <laughs> uh, but so the next section, a lot of the the emails and Twitter questions we got relate to the mergers and, you know, things that could have happened uh, with the way the competition was structured so I'm calling this section the sliding doors of rugby league. <laughs> uh, shout out to James Hooper. Uh,
2: <laughs> but there was never there was so many different proposals on the table. Nothing was off limits. Yeah. in that era.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to shout out a long time listener, Dave Hunter, who who sent us emails about this. Uh, asked a Twitter question as well. I love his dedication. In his email, he talked about being a, you know a, you know 15, 16 year old footy fan at the time thinking about the mergers, designing his own jerseys for the teams he thought could you know could have been good. I and, did the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew you would have. But so so rather go into the, the many proposals and, and you know get bogged down in it, I, I just thought we, we could handle this with with a couple of questions. So firstly, uh, I've I've thought about this and I want you to give your own answer. The best and worst case for rationalization or compromise with News Limited in you know 94 or 95
2: all my life i've been saying the arl should have done that and it would have been short-term pain and we would would have been riding high on the hog you know 10 years later but the more i look at it the more i think i'm being far too simplistic about that i'm going to misquote a friend of the show uh nicolo Machiavelli. if you're going to commit an atrocity do it all in one go and then uh rather than piecemeal and prolonging the agony and everyone's on edge, that sort of thing. That was my thinking the whole time. Just do it now. Get rid of all these Sydney clubs. Make them a national comp. It'll build naturally. we'll be mm. fine. But North Sydney Bears, with the area I live in, and that small microcosm of guys, like, I never watched another game. I think that would have been just a mass situation across the whole of Queensland and New South Wales. Yeah. And we could have lost so many people.
1: Well, that... Generations. That <laughs> kind of speaks to my best case. So, and my best case is essentially one of the options that news presented the arl with which was basically you run the competition as it currently is uh and it will essentially be a second tier feeder system for our super league now i i i'm not saying that the arl should have accepted that like whatever the argument there's no way the arl would have been happy with that and you know nor nor should they have been but i just think if that had happened let let's just say they you know threw their guns down and said, okay, no mergers, Sydney clubs stay as they are and are essentially the New South Wales Cup and then there's new entities at Super League level, it would have given people the option to choose and say, right, well, my club's still alive, I'm following them. Uh, I'm also going to, you know, see the... Sydney Vikings or wherever it might have been in the Super League or maybe they just would have said, I'm not interested in that, but I'm still going to watch Balmain every Saturday afternoon. See, I didn't
2: think of it like that as a second tier. I thought of it as was like just get rid of them and then have the merged clubs remaining.
1: See, that's what you were thinking at the time? or is that no, no, no,
2: no, no. In this exercise now, yeah, uh, I wasn't thinking like keep Balmain around and then have the Sydney Vikings. I was thinking mm-hmm. like make it the West Tigers and um, no more Balmain. yeah. I just think it was having them hanging around would have been more of an insult.
1: See, I think that's the issue now. I think now it's at the point where if the merger's is going to happen, you kind of do have to let go of the old clubs and have it be one club going into the future.
2: So there's the argument of the Newtown Jets and how you know it's a great little community thing and blah blah blah. But if you got rid of Easts and made Souths the club, which Dave Hudders suggested, do you want East still hanging around as a thorn in your side or just extinct?
1: Well, yeah. So I, I'm saying my best case scenario is no mergers. Just have the old clubs running as they were. Right. And, and this this best case. I'm not even saying this would have worked. I'm just saying I, I think of all the options, real or imagined, this is probably the most painless one I could have could think probably of.
2: Probably painlessness, but I think ineffectiveness as well. I, I think uh, my dream scenario back in the day was have four Sydney clubs, north, south, east, and west, and national comp, Australasian comp. That was my my logical scenario. And, I don't think it
1: would have worked. And so those four Sydney clubs, were they completely new entities? Well,
2: in my 14-year-old or 17-year-old, uh, well, 14 mentally brain, it was new entities. north, Northern suburbs, I was thinking, southern suburbs, east Sydney, west Sydney. That was my what I thought was a masterstroke back then. <laughs> and it was just a start fresh and... Make it like the NFL or whatever and set with this four instead of two and uh, we'll go on from there. Mm. Short-term pain, long-term gain, but I don't think it would have worked. I think the only thing that would have worked and it would have been the longest-term pain would be natural attrition. Yeah. No salary cap. Let's just watch them all die. But then what we have then, we might have um, Penrith left and um, Canterbury, and that's the only team to the left. It's like, well, it doesn't really cover the city area, does it?
1: I I definitely think that would have been the most effective. Mm. Like, without a doubt, if they just scrapped the salary cap for three years and let it play out, I think it would have played out. So I think that would have been the most effective. I've said my best case. It's funny because your kind of best case is kind of like my worst case.
2: But that's like utopian thinking. We yeah. never, it would never never
1: worked. Well, cuz one of the options that was being talked about at the time was these, you know, mass mergers where it's not just, you know, St. George and Cronulla, it's St. George and Cronulla and Canterbury or St. George, Cronulla and Illawarra, you know, Balmain South and, you know, it was these like three, four-way mergers that like they were, they were looking at geography and nothing else.
2: But that, that's what I was looking at, and I thought I was, a, you know, an entrepreneur and a business guy back then. And since engaging with the rugby league community, since we're doing this show, I've got so much more respect for the tribal nature of rugby league where I didn't have that respect mm-hmm. back then.
1: And you got to say, like, the history of mergers in the the post Super League era is patchy at best. You know?
2: Yeah, but it's sort of like if you're building a. Um... Building a hot rod and you've got some, you know, old clunky parts that are rusted through, it's not gonna be the fastest car, is it?
1: Yeah. So so I, I definitely think that, that mergers is like not the optimal way of doing it. Like I think new entities would have been like less painful. Well let long-term. me ask you, let
2: me ask you this. With the damage that was done with the two comps and the and the forced mergers and the, you know, clunky mergers, do you think a complete fresh start would have been less pain than that. Four new Sydney clubs,
1: and, and what happens to the old clubs? Do they exist in any form?
2: Well, I didn't think that far ahead, being a moron. But uh, <laughs> the uh, probably if, if we left the old clubs as a as a as a feeder, maybe.
1: So yeah, I mean that's that was my my best case exactly. That the Super League isn't you know, Canterbury get in, Cronulla get in. It, it's the Sydney clubs stay as they are. So and-
2: I just wanted to get rid of suburban. Names out of a national competition, or just sort of crazy. Do you still feel that way now? Not as much. It's I, I, I'm not in love with the fact that we've got Manly Warringah, you know, a hyphenated <laughs> couple of suburbs in a national competition, Canterbury, Bankstown, et cetera, Granada Sutherland. <laughs> it's like I just think it's provincial and embarrassing. Yeah. But I, I get that the the tribalism is an underrated and a huge part of mm. rugby league.
1: Yeah, and, and it is a different landscape. It's a very particular place you can't just make it you know oh it's not the you know pittsburgh outlying suburb of pittsburgh steelers it's you know like one yeah one entity it's it's a different landscape here and i think that has to be considered but, but here's
2: what annoys me it's like bellman was was a tough guy in neighborhood right you know dock workers and etc and now look at it they like, there were no rugby league ball mm. so why are we so attached to these suburbs when they change over time anyway yeah
1: yeah, I mean, and that goes back to the you know it's tribal, but where are the tribes? Which yeah, was yeah. you know my thinking then and now.
2: Well, look at Dave Hunter's email. He had a he had southern suburbs as an idea, right? Mm. The Rabbitohs, so yeah, keep house and get rid of East. That would be my dream. Yeah, and if we did that in '95, who would really care mm. if the Roosters weren't there for that many years?
1: Especially at that point of time. Yeah, before Gus, before Freddie, before Politis' money. Yeah, they were so ripe. For just being, you know, kind of Their fans, the
2: fans they have now come from the
1: success, yeah, and a few oldies. Mm.
2: Um, it would have been like Norse, basically. Yeah, like is anyone shedding a tear for Norse besides Flo, the poor bugger? Uh,
1: so the the second question is, we, we won't spend as long as it as long on it, but what merger or relocation, whether proposed or imagined, intrigues you? And and that's the operative operative word here intrigues, not necessarily the one you think would have worked the best or one that would have worked at all but which, which one stands out in your mind
2: the one that always comes into my head is ipswich because i don't like the idea of a second brisbane team i think it's cannibalizing an already huge fan base for the broncos central queensland intrigues me as well the more queensland teams the better i just don't like the brisbane second brisbane
1: all right but going back to 95 could that could that have included a crushes maybe rebranded move slightly like
2: yes yeah, so i never got the idea of the crush. It was southeast queensland based in brisbane like.
1: well, well that's it it, show, it shows how i was thinking i didn't even realize they were a second brisbane team when they came in <laughs> it was like, just like oh southeast queensland okay now
2: also saying that the um the hyphenated suburb is provincial southeast uh, melbourne magic yeah. in the nbl uh, do you think they stole it off them <laughs> southeast queensland yeah like do we need southeast <laughs> crazy Anyway, but uh, yeah, if the crushes were moved to hoops, which I'd be happy. Back then,
1: the one that really stands out to me is the idea of St George moving to Melbourne, which would have been their likely Super League future.
2: That would have
1: been hot. I I, I, don't, I don't know. There's something about it as a St George fan that I think like is really cool. But like the idea of still having my club, being able to get down to Melbourne and watch them, you know, a couple of times a year and
2: if we have any um trader AFL fans listening, like what is the feeling in the AFL from uh South Melbourne Swans fans about Sydney Swans? You know, do they support them when they visit Melbourne? Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: they they absolutely do. There's there's a real like you know, a South Melbourne, like the old school like fan base still there
2: so i think it's better to have your, your club existing in another city in its original form than emerged
1: yeah i, I mean f- for me the merger worked perfectly so I, I as a fan like the best case scenario is what i got you know i still get to go to cogra and, and and watch my team playing the same jersey so i'm glad it worked out the way things did for my own selfish reasons but i, I think it would have worked really well
2: i think, I think relocation is such an underrated option and people are always fighting. It's like they'll still be in Sydney a hundred times a year. Like you can still watch your team. Mm-hmm. You, you don't watch them anyway. So, yeah. like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can watch them on TV. Nothing has to change. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing about having a team like St George go to Melbourne, they've always been a team that has fans outside their area. Yeah. So there would have been like a, a built-in fan base wherever they went.
2: Well, but then let's let's back it up. See, I thought the Northern Eagles was the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers. It was a colossal failure.
1: I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, which, when the time comes, we'll get into at length. But there is that the the cultural issue can't be can't be understated. That if if two entities meet that have that natural like you know antagonism.
2: This is the problem with rugby league and mergers. Is the game is built on antagonism. Mm. You can't be a League administrator without being antagonistic. Yeah. That's in your nature. Even the smooth operators, in inverted commas, (laughs) are problems.
1: Uh, So anything else to add about uh, this issue before we move on?
2: Well, Dave's email highlighted again in my mind how naive my thinking was at the time. And there's nowhere near a perfect solution, but I don't think any of them are good. Yeah. The only one that would have helped us long-term that was doable, I think, would have been natural attrition. Yeah. It's just fanciful to say we're going to scrap all the clubs and make four new ones. That's lunacy.
1: Yeah. I, I tend to agree that that would have worked the best. Yeah. Um, now we're going to look at the, the listener questions we asked for on Twitter. Uh, got some great ones. There's a lot we can't use because of that uh, spoiler issue. So, a lot related to stuff that's coming up later in our series. It, it was... Really heartening to me to get those questions because I was like, oh, yeah, we've got an episode on that. Yep, yeah, we're planning that. So that was really cool that I, I know we're on the right track. There are also a few things that I hadn't thought of, which was really cool. So James Ellis at JRP Ellis asked about the Gilbert balls in Super League, why why they weren't using Steedon. I don't know. So I'm going to be looking into that.
2: Oh, I really uh, love the, the Gilbert ball. You now, this is a travesty for me. When I was a teenager, I bought a union ball. <laughs> because it kicked better for goal-kicking and torpedoes.
1: Is this in the era where you were digging out the sand from from your local school? for your Yeah, your across the
2: road from my nan's school was at uh, My nan's house was a Biruban public school, and every weekend I'd dig giant holes and make mounds of dirt, and all the kids were getting ankle injuries. And uh, <laughs> when my school played them in soccer, they were bringing it up, and then I had to admit that I was the culprit. <laughs> yeah, so I had a Gilbert Ball pre-Super League, maybe in 94? Which is just an ultimate, just says wanker the Gilbert ball, isn't it? Mm. But it kicks so much better. Yeah, it looks better, kicks better,
1: rounder. So you're you're in theory pro Gilbert.
2: I don't like the name Gilbert, but I like the the style of ball better.
1: Is there too much water under the bridge now? Is that connection to Union too strong? Like if the league announced they were ditching Steeden, oh, there'd be an uproar. There would be an uproar. And would you share in it, or would you be like, no, this is the way to go. It's a better ball. No,
2: I'd share in it because. When Seaton went to the non-natural fibre ball, that they were very Gilbert-esque, just not quite as round. Back in the early 90s, we still had the old pointy balls, mm. the the waterlogged type, yeah, yeah. you know. So Union were ahead of us on the balls, but we caught up with them. Mm. But the Super League logo on the ball looked cool. I know you don't share that
1: No, definitely opinion. not. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at Marshall23 underscore, given that the pain and upheaval of the war still failed to achieve the desired effect... Do you think Sydney rationalisation can possibly be achieved in future?
2: When the time comes, I think they're just going to let them die.
1: Yeah, I, I think history shows that. Well, history doesn't show it because we never let it happen. But all the other options which didn't work maybe show that the attrition is the way it's got to be. It clubs was... are too stubborn and you know self interested to actually you know take the necessary steps.
2: There's going to be clubs that are kicking themselves they didn't take the incentive money when it was on offer to move. There was big money being offered to relocate in past years, and the people have said no. Mm. I think it'd be a few people that are on the um, funeral pyre going, "You know what? It would have been better if we were in
1: Perth." Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the, yes, yeah, so there was actually a few questions on the topic of you know expansion rationalisation. Uh, just just a couple more. So this was asked by both Rich Cranium NRL and at Chasing Ruse Pod, which is a, a great podcast on international rugby league. So check that out. Uh, at Chasing Ruse Pod, so uh, part of the question was sliding doors related, so I'll skip that. But um, <laughs> well, actually, it's it's all uh, it, it's all sliding doors related, but I'll I'll skip the part we've already dealt with. Well, that's rugby league sliding yeah. doors. <laughs> uh, what if the expansion club stayed loyal, and what if the Reds had a fair deal financially to begin with, rather than paying opponents' costs?
2: If the Reds stayed, we'd be just doing cartwheels now.
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's all there in, in the way that question's phrased. Like I don't think the new clubs were planned with anywhere near the thought that has to go into such a venture.
2: But we saw that they had a good success anyway, so I don't know how it didn't carry on.
1: Yeah, but the money was was always an issue. And... The money's an issue at every yeah. club except for <laughs> Brisbane. <laughs> but I don't think you can go into that venture without a really strong plan on how this club is going to work how the club is going to survive long-term in place.
2: Well, I mean, that would be preferable, but like from the start they had, with the crowds they had, I don't know how it it fell apart so quick. But
1: The most disappointing thing about that whole experience for me is it's given idiots 20 years later the ammunition any time any expansion (laughs) is mooted to say, Adelaide, Perth, we tried that, didn't work. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> as if, you know, three years is anywhere near a, a sample size to, you know, determine if it would have been a success or failure. Uh, the man himself, Andrew Ferguson, the system used to determine which teams would stay or go under the unified competition. Do you think it was the fairest way to move forward? Ob- obviously, we're not going to go into the actual criteria in depth at this point because that's much later in our series.
2: i am got to tell you this right the word criteria. Still holds negative connotations for me when I hear it. This many years later, <laughs> just in a normal conversation, someone reads up criteria. I'm like, ooh, it's <laughs> like <laughs> I shudder, it's the worst.
1: But the question I have for for you and for the other Andrew and for anyone else who you know has the, these same thoughts is, what criteria would have made a fan of a club go, yep, yeah, it's a fair cop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like. Yeah.
2: But it's like anything. It's like, uh, well, here's the criteria for um, economic growth. Now, Romania and um, Japan. Now, let's compare you two. You know, it's like apples and bowling balls. Yeah. But <laughs> the two words associated with Super League for me are vision and criteria. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yes, I mean, you can argue the criteria wasn't fair. You can argue that it, it was arbitrary, and you know, exceptions were made. All, all the all the rest of it that we'll get into. To me, it comes back to someone was always going to be unhappy. You know, there's no way they could have done it, get 22 down to 14 without people being upset.
2: Yeah. I mean, our default position as rugby league people is unhappiness. Like, fury was going to be the result mm. for somebody.
1: Yeah. Uh, and just just finally, last question. Uh, we, we've actually uh, been, been interacting a bit lady lately, lately with former Wallaby Ben Darwin on Twitter, who's yeah, we're amazing. D- yeah. Despite being a, you know from from the Devil's Code, seems like a really good bloke. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's got a great new company out about uh, sports analytics, which we're going to interview him about very soon.
1: Cool. Um. So so Ben asked, "What were the most insane deals done for players?" Uh, I think this can be answered in two words, and I'm going to let let you give those two words, Andrew. One Stephen Edmett. That's the one. He's not the only one, as as when we get to our. He doesn't get a whole episode, but he he gets a a fair run in an episode coming up. It, it wasn't the only like head scratcher, but certainly it's um it it remains the gold standard.
2: Uh, also, Ben Darwin's been asking uh asking us about what when we're going to cover the World Club Challenge. Uh, I think he's pretty keen to laugh at that. And um,
1: a lot of people have been asking for that. Yeah, our
2: Twitter's been blowing up about the World Club Challenge, and I'm dreading the episode. <laughs>
1: It's it's funny because it, yeah we we are going to get to it uh, eventually but on the ARL side I remember like as as I've said a few times I didn't watch any Super League games but I remember like when the World Club Challenge was was on and I'd see the I'd see the you know match reports I'd see that you know half the Super League teams were over in England and I thought that is so cool that's like that's the coolest thing I've, I've ever heard and.
2: My thoughts prior to post, very different.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, that, that's all. As, as I said, we, we got a lot more questions that for various reasons we, we couldn't use, but we really appreciate it. Uh, the emails, please, please, please keep them coming in. This has been such a like great journey so far, and, and the interactions from the listeners have meant everything to us.
2: Yeah, really, really enjoy it. the the Facebook and the Twitter is so cool as well. Great community. Uh, we're we're actually on Spotify now. We've um, increased our technology knowledge to a um, <laughs> what a one out of ten is it? <laughs> so uh, if you're a Spotify user, you can get on there and get get the get the podcast, all the back catalogue. But I mean, a lot of that's week to week. But we've got the history corners of Michael's, which are amazing. And uh, yeah, keep interacting on Twitter with us. We love it.
1: And so we'll be back with the next chapter in the Super League series next week. This has been a lot of fun tonight. So I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll speak to you then. Toodaloo.